From Walking in Grace, this is the Straight Truth Podcast, Christian truths in an increasingly secular world. Welcome again to the Straight Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Philpott. Now, today's episode is part of our series of interviews about the sovereignty of God in evangelism. Dr. Richard Caldwell sat down with Phil Johnson for a conversation on this topic during the Truth in Love Conference at Founders Baptist Church. Now, you can learn more about this conference at truthinlove.org. And don't forget to like this video, leave your comments below, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Now, let's listen as Dr. Caldwell and Phil Johnson discuss the doctrines of grace. Phil, it's a joy to have you here with us this weekend. Um, I told you this off camera, but um, I think yesterday, but I'm so thankful for your ministry. I'm thankful for uh, the way God has used you uh, to further John MacArthur's ministry. And then thankful for your own ministry. I mean, I see videos that you do and all that. So just so appreciative that you're here with us this, this weekend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, this weekend, we're talking about the sovereignty of God and evangelism. So I thought I want to just start by asking you your, your own personal journey with these doctrines. When you were first exposed to them, you know, kind of how, the, how you came to embrace these doctrines. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that journey. Well, I grew up in a Methodist church, which had the dual disadvantage of being both Arminian and rank liberal. Mm. Uh, but I'd heard snippets of spiritual discussions, you know, about human free will and uh, I, I'd been sort of conditioned to think that the notion that God chooses who will be saved, that's, we don't believe that. In, we, they didn't in the Methodist church. And so I came as a Christian with some of that baggage that I didn't instantly know, you know, that's bad theology. Mm. Uh, but I was very interested in evangelism. I wanted to get the gospel to other people. And so evangelism was my passion. And when I began to hear about the doctrines of grace and, and, uh, specifically election, you know, and it wasn't so much human depravity. I think I could have grasped that if somebody had explained it to me. But the idea of election struck me as, you know, arbitrary and unfair. And so I was a bit resistant to that. And I saw it as um, maybe detrimental to evangelism. If God chooses who's going to be saved, what's the point of my telling anybody? Mm. That's the way a lot of us think. And it's not, it's not a rational thought because... The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the instrument he chose by which he calls his people to himself. So we're sent into the whole world to preach the gospel indiscriminately. And it took me uh, several years to begin to sort of understand that. I remember uh, about two years after my salvation, I enrolled at Moody Bible Institute as a student. So I'm coming in with very little biblical knowledge or theological knowledge. And uh, the dorm room I was in was right next to a group of guys who were sort of rabid Calvinists. <laughs> They'd sit around in their dorm room and talk about the doctrines of grace. And uh, I had a group of friends. We'd go out on the streets and evangelize. And I remember I walked into their room once to see if they could help me sharpen a pencil or whatever. These guys are sitting around arguing about uh, mm-hmm. election and you know God's foreknowledge and all that. And I just made this flippant comment. If you guys would come with, come with us and you know, give the gospel to people on the street, there might be a lot more elect people. <laughs> and uh, that's, I just was really hostile to the idea because I thought this is, this is incompatible with evangelism. Well, I discovered these guys were as passionate about evangelism as they were about the sovereignty mm. of God. They slowly but graciously explained to me that, you know, that what gives them the, 
as, as Calvinists, what gave them the confidence to go out and give the gospel to anybody is the knowledge that God has chosen some to respond and he uses the gospel to draw them. So it isn't a question of persuading people sheerly by logic. It wasn't, it wasn't that I had to talk people into the kingdom by philosophical means. I just have to proclaim the message God gave us to proclaim Amen. and he will draw people. And uh, as I began to see that, evangelism became more effective. I think my approach to evangelism was more biblical. And uh, and I began to see more response. Uh, But it took several years for me to get to the point where I really embraced with a whole heart all of the doctrines of grace. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, actually I heard John MacArthur teaching on Ephesians 2 and the doctrine of total depravity, the one that really would have been the easiest for me to grasp in the first place, Mm It seems like in the progress of time, it was the last one I really studied intently. Mm. And once I saw that, okay, sin hasn't just disabled us or sickened us. Mm. We're dead in trespasses and sins until God raises us up. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. Mm. And it was John MacArthur's teaching through Ephesians 2 that really finally got me over the hump where I saw, oh yeah, all of this fits together. It's it's all very coherent and it starts with the reality that sin has utterly destroyed the human spirit so that we aren't just disabled or sick. We're dead Mm. until Christ raises us up and gives us new life. And and to me, that's the essence of what people call Calvinism or or the doctrines of grace, it's not, it's not all about God's foreknowledge, predestination, and those difficult-to-absorb truths. It really starts with the reality of what sin has done to the human race. And once you grasp that, right. you're going to realize that only a sovereign God can save a sinner. Amen. It's very good. Uh, of those five doctrines that are you know, referred to as Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, which of the five was hardest for you to Embrace? Well, I suppose it was limited atonement, of what people call limited atonement. I prefer to call it particular redemption yes. or definite atonement. Uh, the idea that there was a, a, a distinct purpose in Christ's dying on the cross. He wasn't doing an experiment to see how many people might respond, mm-hmm. but he was dying to pay the price for the sins of his people. The Good Shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Mm-hmm. And he had a definite objective in mind when he died. And everything he intended to do in the process of dying, rising again, making atonement for a sin, everything he intended to do will be ultimately accomplished. Amen. Uh, and none, none, of it, none of his effort will be lost or be in vain, even though people reject the gospel. Uh, of course they reject the gospel because they're sinners. What's amazing is not that people reject the gospel and, and ultimately are punished for their sin. What's amazing is that God has chosen to overrule that for his people and he overcomes our resistance, our natural resistance to our enmity of him is how scripture says it, uh, our hatred of him, our, our the war that we as sinners wage against God. He overcomes that and lovingly, graciously, not by force, not against our will, mm-hmm. he, he draws us to Christ in a loving way, and uh, that's the only way anybody's saved. A particular redemption also, wouldn't you say, Phil, it has to do with the agreement between Father, Son, and Spirit in terms of how they're working. So you have the Father electing a people, you have the the Spirit of God making particular application of the gospel in effectual calling, 
if you have the son dying uh, an indiscriminate death, let's say it that way, um, without design, wouldn't that represent some sort of disagreement in the Trinity? It would. In terms There's all sorts of problems with you know have, having the notion that well. Christ just made a universal atonement for everybody that the death of Christ has the same implications for everybody, and now it's up to you whether you choose mm. or not. Because if that were the case, nobody would choose rightly. But the other thing is the nature of the atonement itself is a substitutionary you know, payment for right. sin. He died vicariously for those whom he saves. And, and if you think about it then, if you believe in substitutionary atonement, that Christ paid this, the price of sins, mm. uh, a, a real price for sins for specific people, then the, you, you can't avoid the idea of particular redemption. As John Owen, I think it was, who said it, you know, if, if Christ died a substitutionary death for everyone, for every human being, you have double suffering represented in, in hell. Right. Yeah, think of it like this. He, he, uh, he was the substitute for Peter's sin, right? Mm-hmm. Peter was saved. He became an apostle. He didn't have to pay for his sins because those sins were forgiven and the price for them paid by Christ. But Jesus said of Judas, it would have been better for him if he'd never been born, right. which is a strong clue that Judas went to hell, where he is suffering for his own sin. You cannot say that Christ, that he substituted for Judas in the same way that he substituted for Peter. Mm. You can't say that. It doesn't make any sense. So if you believe in substitutionary atonement, it, it, you have to take the Calvinistic position. And it's, it's in fact so clearly that way that if you read what Spurgeon wrote, Charles Spurgeon wrote or said or preached, he didn't use the expression limited atonement or mm. definite atonement even. He just talked about substitutionary atonement mm. because the principle is so clear yes. that if, if Christ is dying in the place and in the stead right. of those who are saved, then his death does not apply to those who are not saved in the same way. How would you answer the criticism of that that, that says, if that's true, then our gospel offer to just anybody is insincere? We, yeah. We, yeah. The, well, that is the question I'm answering in the message I have at the conference Good. here. And uh, uh, the answer is, of course, it's pretty easy, actually. The, the, the price Christ had to pay even for the sin of one sinner was an infinite price. Mm. And if it's infinite, then by definition, it can't be added to or diminished. It's, it's infinite. So if one more sinner had been elect, Christ would <laughs> not have had to suffer another stroke from the whip or another thorn in his crown. Uh, he paid an infinite price. So in fact, it was the canons of the Synod of Dort, the Calvinistic uh, Synod that was convened to answer Ar- Arminianism uh, they say, uh, the wording it goes, uh, this may be an exact quote, if not, it's very close, that his death was sufficient to pay the price of, for, for the sins of all the world if that had been God's mm, intention. That's so good. So the debate is about what was God's design here? Mm-hmm. Did he have just a random design to make an infinite atonement and then whoever responds, that determines the effect of it? Or did he have a definite plan to save people, a specific people, and a specific number of people, uh, or was it just a random thing? And I think if you, if you understand the sovereignty of God, if God knew ahead of time at all, even if you believe that <laughs> he simply knows what's going right. to happen, he, doesn't, he didn't decree it, which I don't believe, I believe he decreed course, it. Right. But even if you thought, no, he didn't decree it, he only knew it, 
still then, he knew ahead of time what this was going to accomplish. He ordained that it would happen. Scripture is very clear about that. Christ was Christ suffered by the predeterminate knowledge of God. Mm. This was God's ordained plan. It wasn't a random plan. He had something very specific in mind. And there's just no escape from that. And it also gets to how we preach the gospel because... Uh, you know, a common thing is, well, how can I say to someone that, that Christ died for their sins? What's interesting is when you look at the New Testament and the way they preach the gospel, do you even, even see them giving the gospel yeah. that kind of... Nobody ever used that yeah. expression. Actually, that comes from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is outlining the gospel, and he does say Christ died for our sin, mm -hmm. but he's writing to Christians right. there, reminding them of gospel truth. That isn't how he went out and preached to the lost. He preached to the lost the same way Jesus did, Repent and your sins will be forgiven. Amen. And that's a that's a promise any of us could make. If if you repent, your sins will be forgiven. And Christ died for sinners. If you right. know yourself to be a sinner and exactly. desire to be saved, yeah. and you don't have to know ahead of time whether you're elect or not. Right. If you do respond, then you can be confident. Okay, you did that not because you were smarter or better or or you know made a better choice even than your neighbors. It's because God himself drew you and gave you the desire and the will to embrace Christ. Amen. If there's one, one last thing you'd like to say, people who watch this, about these doctrines, just one truth you'd like to communicate as they maybe are first getting exposed to these doctrines or whatever, what would you say to someone watching Yeah, this? I would say study it with an open heart. And don't be fooled by how these things are commonly talked about. We use the TULIP acronym because it's an easy way to remember, mm -hmm. but... What, it, what that forces us to do is attach names to these doctrines that aren't quite, that some of them are misleading. Total depravity, uh, for example, doesn't mean that everybody is as bad as he could possibly right. be. It means that sin has affected us totally so that every, every part of me is disabled and, and, uh, and damaged by sin. I'm dead in sin. Mm. It's total in that sense. It doesn't mean that my depravity manifests itself with eagle, e equal fervor to, say, Adolf Hitler. We're not all Hitlers. We're not all mass murderers, but we are all equally dead. Mm. There's no degrees of death. Uh, limited atonement, another misleading term. Right. It's, it's any, anybody has a limited view of the atonement unless you believe everybody's going to be saved. Mm -hmm. We just see the limitations in different ways. That's what the argument's about. Um, so, so an irresistible grace. People get the idea that uh, grace is irresistible because God uses some kind of force. Mm -hmm. No, he makes Christ irresistible in the same way I find my wife irresistible. Right, right. It's irresistible in that sense that God draws us by a loving attraction rather than driving us by force against our wills. He makes shines us his light into our hearts so that we can see God's glory in the face of his son. Right, and it makes yeah. us willing in, in a willing way. It's not against our wills. So, uh, but, but study these doctrines. It takes lots of people, me in fact, 15 years between the time I was saved and the time I would have said, yeah, I, okay, I do understand and embrace the doctrines of grace. Uh, it's, it's not easy truth to absorb. And, mm -hmm. and especially if you've got, if you, if you start the process with bad presuppositions, mm -hmm. as I did, it might take some time to overcome that. But study it with an open mind. Don't just react, but read Scripture and see what it says. There's so much about this in Scripture that I, I think if you really study Scripture with an open heart, you will reach the point where you, you can't resist the truth that God is sovereign and his good pleasure will be done 
in the end, and uh, not one of God's designs or intention is ultimately going to be defeated. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us for the Straight Truth Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Now, you can find links to all of our social media channels by going to our website, straighttruth.net. Now, do us a favor. Please go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to these episodes there. We release new episodes every Thursday. Also, go to the iTunes podcast section and leave us a review. Now, Straight Truth is a production of Walking in Grace Ministries. For more information, go to walkingingrace.org.